Good morning, C3. We are so glad you have decided to join us today. We hope you are ready to praise and experience God with all of your heart. Let's get started in three, two, one. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. We're so glad you guys have joined us today. We have Bethany with us today, so we're so glad that she's here yeah. singing along. I don't know about the rest of the guys, but, you know, they're here, and we're ready to worship. So we encourage you guys to worship along with us. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to I want to see you, see you high and lifted up, shine in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, cause I want to see you, I want to see you. See you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pull out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. I want to see you.
family. This is your call to worship for today. I'm reading from Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Please listen. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what doesn't satisfy. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. Come all you weary Come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all ye sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. Come lay him down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting there with open arms Tears open arms For God so loved the world that he gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever believes in him will live
bring all your failures, bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting for God so loved the world. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, guys. guys. Thank y'all for uh, the worship this morning. We're grateful. Bethany, thank you for being a part oh, of the yeah. worship team this morning. What a special blessing. Yes. And I think today we're going to talk about weddings. We're going to talk about weddings talk about today. about a wedding. Can you believe yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can believe that. So um, one thing that I like to, when I go to a wedding, one thing that I like to look at, well, actually two things. I like to look at the bridegroom. As the bride's coming down the aisle? Yes. And I kind of like to watch the father of the bride. Yes. You remember being father of the bride? I remember it. Uh, I was going to say fondly, but I remember yeah, it. Yeah, tell the truth. Tell the truth. I, it was one of the most wonderful and difficult days of my life, but I remember it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it was yesterday. So, yeah. So, uh, in fact, I, let me just interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. What I did enjoy... Uh, more than the actual day of the wedding, although it was wonderful. You did, great. Um, what I did enjoy was the six months prior to the wedding, watching you and Rainey work together, putting the wedding together. Yeah. Uh, that was really neat, watching y'all talk and plan and investigate and well, it's do a research big thing to put and go together and a try. Wedding. Things and you know just her anyway the whole thing was what it was it was well a okay so real quick joy. full disclosure yeah. so we worked on a budget and uh, yes we did yes we did <clears throat> and we had a budget and we were going to stick to the budget and we did stick to the to the budget yeah unbelievably so and Amazingly actually so. under budget just slightly yes until yes. about the week of the wedding when things got very exciting yes and all of a yes. sudden uh, one of the three of us started to say, well, why don't we do this? Or why yes. don't we do that? Because yes. the excitement. So one of the three of us busted the budget just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Just that, a little bit. That was not. But yes. in the excitement yes. of the father putting together something beautiful yes. for the bride. Yes. I wanted, and the bride. I wanted it to be a, a good day for her. I yeah. Wanted, yes. It was good. More than anything. So, yes, should, you did a great job. Should and, I? And, Go ahead. Should I read about a wedding? Why don't you read about a wedding? If you've read got a copy of the scriptures, you can read along in John chapter 2. And Shirley's going to read this passage. And uh, you follow along if you can. Familiar passage. <clears throat> the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars, water jars, used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the uh, jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Mm. 
This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, this is a well-known story. It is. One of Jesus's most famous stories and well-known stories. First miracle. Uh, it's a, it says that it was uh, his first, uh, actually it says his first miraculous sign. Mm. And that's two different things. It was his first miracle, and it was also his first sign. And we'll talk about that just a little bit. Um, you know, when you and I first became Christians as teenagers, um, uh, we came from a sort of a different spiritual background and heritage than uh, a lot of the folks listening to us today. And I, I'll never forget reading this story and um Later on, you know, I drew the conclusion that in that group that we were a part of, they actually made this, in the Bible, it mentions one miracle. Uh, but the group we were a part of really turned it into two miracles. Oh, how's that? Uh, well, it was, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine, and then the group that we were part of turned the wine into grape juice. Ah, there so, uh, it was the second miracle. But anyway, that, that's not in the Didn't text. Didn't even know there were two that day. Yeah, there were actually two, according to the, the group that we were a part of, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, just to give you just a little background, this, uh, this wedding at Cana, and the miracle that took place there, this happened at the very beginning of Jesus' miracle, yeah. uh, Jesus' ministry. Yeah. He had just been baptized a few days earlier by John the Baptist, and then he had just selected the first, I think, five or six of his disciples. He hadn't even got all the 12 yet. It was just a, a handful that had he had called to be with him, and they had all gone to this wedding uh, it was probably because of Mary's uh, prominence at the wedding. It was probably a family member of Mary's. Uh, the servants obeyed her. You know, she had she knew the problem. She was aware of the problem. She could tell the servants what to do, and they would follow her lead. So she probably might have even had some responsibility at the wedding, and uh, therefore it was probably a family member. But anyway. Um, Anyway, this this is a like I said, it's a well-known miracle. Uh, and what's significant here is that, as you pointed out or noticed, John tells us that this was Jesus's first miracle and his first sign. It was his first miraculous sign. And just I'm not trying to make too big a point of this, but it is significant. Um, signs always have a purpose. You don't have a sign without it having a purpose. And the purpose of a sign, whether it's a billboard or any other kind of sign, it's to point people towards something. It reveals something. It points to something. It gives people direction. That's very significant here. John wants us to understand that when Jesus creates a miraculous sign, he is doing something extraordinary, obvious obviously, but he's also wanting this miracle to reveal something about himself. Uh, it's very significant that this was his very first miracle. And if you think about it, uh, isn't it odd that this is the first miracle that Jesus chooses to do? I've thought about that. Um, you know, it's not very spectacular. 
It's if you were going to start a big ministry or try to create a big movement, um, you would want to do something that was extraordinary, something that had notoriety, something that the press would find uh, unique and special and attention-getting. And yet, at the end of the day, this miracle that Jesus performed really was nothing more than His attempt to spare embarrassment to a a little couple of newlyweds and their families. Hmm. That's really all. At the end of the day, Jesus cared about these two, this little couple and their families and didn't want them to be embarrassed. Because the fact is, no one even knew about the miracle after it was over. Until John wrote about it, nobody even knew about the miracle. Um, Mary knew and the servants knew and Jesus and the disciples knew. But none of the other guests at the uh, at the wedding. I never about thought it. about that. Yeah, so um, it was not the kind of thing that you would think Jesus would have chosen as his first miracle to launch his new ministry. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't newsworthy. Was it flashy? Uh, it wasn't flashy at all. Um, it was just an effort by Jesus to meet a practical need and to protect a family from embarrassment. Social embarrassment. That, that's, all, that's all that takes place here. And yet he chooses this as a place to introduce himself to us, to, to the word he wants to show us, he wants to reveal to us something about himself that's important to him. And um, so the quick makes the question why? Why would Jesus? begin with this. What what was Jesus trying to reveal to us? What was it that Jesus wanted us to know about himself um, that he displayed through this uh, uh, miracle of turning water into wine? Um, Yeah, so that's that's important to me. I mean, that's what sort of stood out to me. Um, And I, and I, what, What I took away from this, the two things that I feel like, I'm sure there are many others, but in studying this passage for quite a while, um, the two things that I feel like Jesus quite probably wanted to reveal to us about himself, one of which being that Jesus was a person that loved parties. He was a person that loved joyful, festive celebrations. Um, Yes, Jesus possessed many other qualities uh, that he was known for. His power, his holiness, his sorrow, his grief, his kindness, his knowledge, his anger, his discipline, his passion to serve others, his wisdom. Jesus was known for many other qualities, and yet he wanted his first quality To be, the first quality that he wanted to be known for was his love for and his enjoyment of parties, having fun, uh, joyful times of celebration. That was a big deal to him. Uh, And one of the reasons that it was a big deal to him uh, to be known for this is because uh, it was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament told 
the people of Israel, one of the ways that you'll be able to know the Messiah, you'll be able to recognize the Messiah when he comes someday in the future, is his love for parties, his love for celebration. And not only will he love those kind of things, he will usher them in. He will bring them with him when he comes. Um, if you would, read that passage out of Isaiah 25. There's a number of passages I could get you to read, but read the one out of Isaiah 25 that, that lets us know that when the Messiah comes one day, he's going to be a person that loves celebrations and ushers in celebrations. Isaiah 25, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all, feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. Thank you. And then if I'm, just for the sake of time, we're not going to read Joel 2, but it's exactly the same thing, yes. that when the Messiah comes, he will bring times of abundance and celebration and joy and festivity. That's and remove one, the cloud of gloom. He, he removes, yes. And isn't that ironic that so many of his followers uh, would bring clouds of gloom with them uh, in the, to many uh, many events. Uh, but I, that's for another day. You digress. Um, yes, I digress. Um, in Luke uh, chapter 7, uh, Jesus quotes his enemies, his critics. Uh, and in doing so, he says this, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you call him a glutton and a drunkard. And what he's talking about there is that, that he was his critics and enemies noticed how much he enjoyed a good party. Hmm. Noticed how often he hung out at festive events and celebrations and good lively parties to the point that people criticized him uh, for doing so. John the Baptist was quite probably a pretty somber, serious kind of a guy. Uh, and and his disciples embraced that persona and to the point that they noticed uh, that Jesus and his disciples were not like that. Right. Um, in fact, John, it's in Matthew 9, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like we do and like the Pharisees do? What, it's sort of a backhanded criticism saying, Jesus, you and your disciples are having too much fun. Why aren't y'all more somber and serious and holy like we are and like the Pharisees are? Jesus himself said in John 10 that I came so that people who believe in me might experience abundant and joyful life. And then in uh, Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about himself. And, and this is what he says. He says that there was a man, he's talking about himself, who prepared a great feast and invited everyone to come and told them, come, celebrate with me. He, the, the, the very perso uh, personality of Jesus was one that wanted people to come and enjoy a good party with him. Um, and I just would stop and say that uh, there are reasons 
good reasons why people would reject Jesus. They would just, they wouldn't agree with him. They would be offended and in disagreement with Jesus on different things. They would disagree with him maybe on his teaching and priority of holiness, forgiving your enemies, loving and serving the poor, heaven and hell, salvation and sin, money and power. People are going to genuinely disagree with Jesus on many of those issues. And if those are the reasons that somebody would say, no, thank you, Jesus. I I think that's sad, but it's fair. It's what's not fair is for people to reject Jesus out of the belief that he's boring, that he's dull, that he's no fun. That is not a valid reason to reject Jesus. Um, Jesus was a person that loved a good party. And I think he wanted to reveal that quality uh, through attending this wedding celebration. Uh, Another quality that I think he wanted us to see, he wanted to reveal at this wedding celebration was simply this. Jesus wanted to get married. I think that's important for us to see. Jesus was a person, is a person, who wanted to get married. He's the ultimate bridegroom. Um, He, uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus said, while you are with the bridegroom, you don't fast, you celebrate. And he's talking about himself. And a number of times, Jesus describes himself with being a bridegroom. In Matthew 25, he tells another parable, and it's a parable about himself. And he says this, the people cried, the bridegroom is here. Everyone come out to meet him. And again, there's numerous examples where Jesus is telling stories where, they, where he's describing himself, and he uses the idea of a bridegroom to describe himself. Um, the key to understanding this, Shirley, is in verse 4. And if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, you can look at verse 4 with me. Uh, let me go back to, I think, verse 2. It says, the wine ran out during the celebration, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And Jesus replied, here's verse 4, woman, it says in my translation, dear woman. There's no dear. There's no dear in this. He, Jesus doesn't say dear woman. He doesn't say dear lady. He doesn't say mom. What he uses is a very formal, somber uh, word, mother. I'm sorry, not mother, woman. He says, woman, why is that our problem? My hour has not yet come. Um, That's very significant. Jesus, I don't think Jesus is rebuking Mary for coming to him for help. It's it's very natural. Uh, Mary had a problem. She was concerned about the wedding. She was concerned about the celebration. She was concerned about the reputation of the family. And no one can help but one person. And she knows that. And so she comes to Jesus. Where else would she go? But what I think is going on here is that for Jesus to respond with such somberness, such seriousness, such formality... At least the people that I've been studying, they would suggest that what's going on here is that at the in the middle of this wedding, 
Jesus's mind is somewhere else. Jesus is thinking about something else. Um, there's, there's great seriousness and somberness, like I said, in Jesus' words. He's distracted and he's troubled. And I think what he's thinking about, what I believe he's thinking about, is his future wedding. Jesus is distracted by his future wedding day. I mean, you and I go to a lot of weddings. And here's the thing. People that are married, when they go to a wedding, what do they do? They can't help at some point in the ceremony to think about their wedding. I've never been to a wedding where I didn't think about your, our wedding. I've never been to a wedding when I didn't think about Rainey's wedding. Yeah. I mean, it's just what married people do. They think about their wedding from the past. Single people like Jesus at the time, mm-hmm. what do they do when they go to a wedding? They hope. <laughs> They're thinking about their future wedding. They're, think, they're hoping, am I going to get married? Who am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? Uh, when am I going to get married? How is my marriage going to ultimately turn out? And Jesus was distracted by his, what he was thinking about that future day when he would wed. And I think what that says is this. Jesus was not going to ever be satisfied being our king. He was never going to be satisfied being our shepherd. He was never going to be satisfied being our master or our father or our friend. Those roles, while all significant and roles that he embraces, they're not enough. Jesus would never be satisfied with any of those roles. Jesus longs for the intimacy that can only be found in marriage. Um, you see that passion. You see that excitement. You see that, that longing in a number of passages that describe Jesus. Ephesians chapter uh, 5 is one. But the one that I thought of is in Revelation 19 where it describes Jesus' wedding. And it says this, Rejoice and be glad for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's finally time. And the bride is now ready. I think Jesus uh, responds to Mary with such formality and seriousness is because his mind was somewhere else. He was thinking about the day when he would get married. He was distracted. And when Mary walked up and, and brings these servants and says, I need your help, I think it sort of started him just a little bit and brought his mind back from where it had been focused, and that was on his future marriage. He was distracted, but he was also troubled. And what he was troubled about was the cost of the wedding. This wedding that he was going to have was going to cost him dearly. Uh, And the reason you might say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that's what he was thinking about? Well, it's not unreasonable to draw that conclusion when you understand that he uses a special word. in, In my translation, it says that it's not my time. That's not, that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, it's not my hour. And any time in John where John uses the word hour, and he uses it a number of places, it always refers to Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death. In John 7, John 8, John 12, and John 13, all refer, they all use, he uses the word hour, and they all refer to Jesus' sacrificial death and his suffering. Also, you can tell that he's thinking about that in that, what does he use to put the wine in that he makes. 
Why didn't he just refill the bottles and the jugs <laughs> that had been empty during the party? That's the reasonable thing to do. But he chooses to use ceremonial washing jars, jars that people used to wash with before they entered the presence of God. I think that's so powerful there. Jesus wanted to create something to fill those jars with to show people that someday I'm going to provide the blood that that will be used to create permanent access in the presence of my Father. Um, Jesus was distracted because he was thinking about his future wedding that he longed for. Jesus was troubled because he was thinking about the cost the suffering, the pain that he would have to endure to provide this wedding. Uh, That's why he says in Matthew 26, he says, Father, let this cup pass for me. He knew it was going to be costly. He knew it was going to be painful. He knew it was going to be an experience of great suffering. He willingly did it, but it troubled him. So I want to end today by just uh, telling us or appealing to us I think that this story begs us to ask two questions. Ask ourselves two questions. The first question is simply this. How do you get in on the wedding? How do you participate in this wedding? How do you get to be a part of the wedding ceremony? Actually, my question is, how, do you, how does a person get to be a part of the, the bride? How does that happen? And I think uh, uh, no, just knowing the facts about Jesus' life aren't enough. That won't make you a part of the bride. That that won't make you somebody that Jesus someday comes back to claim as his own. Uh, James says that the devil and the demons in hell know the facts about Jesus. They actually believe that it's true. But Jesus isn't coming back to claim as his bride the devil and the demons. He's coming back to claim those that have embraced more than just knowing the facts. And I think the two things that Jesus indicates in this story or reveals in this story that you need to know and believe and apply to your life to become a part of the bride are these. Number one, I think we've got to admit that we're empty. Just like those jugs, just like those those jars, those water jars that were empty, God doesn't top off that which is half full. God doesn't just add good things to Uh, our lives. God, I'm a little sad. Could you add a little bit of goodness to my goodness? That's not what God does. God comes and fills that which is empty. God comes to give righteousness where there has been sin, light where there's been darkness, fullness where there's been emptiness, life where there's been death. Not to add to our goodness and to become a part of the wedding ceremony, a part of the bride, we've got to own the fact that we're empty and we need him to fill us. The second thing the story, I think, uh, reveals is that we've got to be willing to take credit for somebody else's work. It's sort of funny in the story, if you'll notice it, that the host tastes this wine and says, oh my gosh, that's the best wine I've ever tasted. And he runs over, John says, to the groom and says, dude, what are you doing? I just tasted the best wine I've ever had in my life. You know, but that's not the way we do it. We serve the best wine at the beginning of the party, when, and then when people can really appreciate it, and then after everybody's about halfway drunk, 
Then we uh, serve the crummy wine, but you're doing it in reverse. You've saved the best for last. And notice what the groom doesn't say. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, I mean, I didn't have anything to do with that. That wasn't my doing. No, no, no. The groom doesn't say a word. He's willing to take the credit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that's the way I roll. That's got a bride groom I am. I, I, I did that. He takes full credit spiritually to become a part of Jesus' bride. We've got to be willing to take credit for that which Jesus did. Jesus gave his righteousness and we've got to be willing to take it. We can't bring our righteousness because we don't have any. We're empty. We're empty. And we're broken. And we're in need of the righteousness of God if we're going to become a part of God's righteous family. And therefore, we've got to say, Jesus, could I take your credit? Could I take that which you possess and apply it to my life even though I don't deserve it and I can't do anything to earn it? I still want you to credit it to my account. The second thing, second question that I think this story really begs us to ask ourselves is this. How can we know about an unstoppable, unimaginable, unending feast that awaits us and still be so joyless, so fearful, so stressed, and so sour? How can we claim to be a, the bride of Christ? And to be told by Jesus himself that he is coming again to marry us and, to, and bring us into his family and have this never-ending, unimaginable feast and celebration with him forever. How can we be told that and claim to believe that and to embrace that and yet still be so fearful and so sour and so angry? Um, it's almost as if, who, the question I want to ask is, who, who are we waiting on? Are we waiting on an angry judge? Are we waiting on a wicked king? Are we waiting on a parent that can never be satisfied no matter how hard we try? Or are we waiting for a groom who cannot wait? He can't sleep at night. He's so excited about coming to take us and make us his own. Um, I ask you to, I should, you and I were talking about that, that uh, quote that yeah. Christopher Ash uh, wrote. And would you read that? And that's the way we'll end today. Okay, so Christopher Ash says, We live lives of joy and praise, not because the present is easy, but because the future is glorious. And in the midst of endless longings and delays, God is setting the stage for a mind-boggling, joy-expanding, hmm. never-ending celebration around His table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the image. That's the image. How can we... That's what we live for. Doesn't mean our lives uh, don't have pain and sorrow. And it doesn't mean that there won't be days of, of weeping and pain. But what defines our life? Is it sourness and complaining and unhappiness and jo just a joyless existence? Or is there an underlying joy and excitement and anticipation... No matter what. ...that the best is yet to come. Yeah. The best yeah. is yet to come. That's what, that's, you've saved the best to us. And you know, how, what other phrase could describe God better? That's what God does. God promises us, no matter what our life looks like and how difficult our life is, He promises that the best is yet to come. Mm. We're going to eat this bread 
and drink this wine. And we do this for many reasons, not the least of which is that it's a way of declaring that we believe that Jesus is coming back. Jesus says, do this until I return. Do this enough. So one of the reasons that we eat this and we drink this every week is a, it's just a declaration that we believe that he is coming back. And he's not just coming back. He's coming back for his bride. And we are a part of that. And we're looking forward to that day that when he will make us his own. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And I hope you'll think about this incredible story uh, about the wedding at Cana and Jesus' passion to be our bridegroom. He loves us and he wants us to be his own. God bless you. Every time I tried to make it on my own Every time I tried to stand, start to fall And all those lonely roads that I have traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay, but I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day But there was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been and where I'm going On the mountain, in the valleys, there was Jesus. In the shadows of the alleys, there was Jesus. In the fire, in the flood, there was Jesus. Always is and always was. No, I never 
Thanks again for joining us this week. We are Christ Community Church. If you have no clue who we are, come on back next week. We'll be here at 1015, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. You guys see anything else? You going to come back next week, Bethany? Hopefully. Nope, she's not coming back ever again. (laughs) Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.